It's Thursday, June 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Molly Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross, and from Molly Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Gentlemen, hey, thanks for being here. Our pleasure. Let me, just put, let me just put lis- listeners on notice for a couple of things. <laughs> this is the last episode of the first half of 2016. The market is closed on Monday, July 4th, because it is the Independence Day holiday, so we will not be here. We'll be back on Tuesday. With a vengeance. Uh, we'll be back with a vengeance. And last but not least, because this is the last episode uh, leading into a long weekend, uh, we might go long. <laughs> we might go a little longer today. This could be trouble. Uh, who's, who's around next week? You coming in? I'm coming it's in a holiday on, week. On, I'm coming in on Tuesday. Yeah, uh-huh. when the market is open. Sure, I'll be here. I am taking my daughter to, daughter to college orientation. I'm out. Yeah, all next week. Most of next week. All right. Um, we got a lot to get to. We've got some earnings. We will dip into the full mailbag. The news fairy showed up <laughs> literally an hour before we started taping. Less than an hour before we started taping. We'll get to that. Let's let's do a, a quick. Uh, hit on the bank stress test though, because that was coming into this morning, Ron. That was the lead story: the the stress tests uh, for the major banks, and and virtually all of them passed. And as someone who does not study banks very closely, but has had a couple of physical stress tests, uh, I'm, I, whenever this happens, I always think, yeah. I, these things aren't that stressful for the banks. They're <laughs> right. just it depends not. on how good the doctor is, right? Right. Uh, Thirty-one out of thirty-three passed. Um, Morgan Stanley did pass, but it kind of just snuck by. They uh, got a little slap on the wrist there. Uh, Deutsche Bank and Santander, which I have no idea how to pronounce, were the two that failed. Um, which basically is good. It means our banking system is is relatively healthy, certainly compared to what it was going into 2008 and the bailouts. Um, they'll now have the permission to buy back stock, increase dividends, should be good for shareholders. So our banks do look healthier. It doesn't mean they're returning great <laughs> great returns on equity, um, but they are relatively healthy. Yeah, in all seriousness, they, you're absolutely right. They are healthier. We we got sort of a preview of this earlier in the week when people were looking at U.S. banks in the wake of the Brexit vote and saying, "Well, wait a minute, how you know how are, how are we doing? How well are they?" And resoundingly, what you heard was. Our banks are in much better shape to withstand any sort of ripple effect from Brexit than they were in 2008, 2009. Exactly. It's actually great timing because it kind of eases some of the uncertainty from Brexit, although certainly not all of it. But banks are such a big part of the economy and they cause such uncertainty um, in people's minds that it's nice to get a little piece of good information. Have you ever had a, a stress test on your heart? Have you ever had one of those? I've had an EKG, but not a stress test. Okay. So, just for, for those unfamiliar, a stress test is when uh, you're you're hooked up to a bunch of things. the The doctor puts you on a treadmill and you start walking, and then the doctor speeds it up and increases the you know the incline and speed. And the point of the stress test is to get you to the point where you can no longer run, where it's just to exhaust you and sort of how does your heart do under those type of conditions? So horrible. so when I see the bank stress test, I go yeah they're they're stressful. They're just not that level of stress. Are there any mind games played during the stress test by the doctor? They poke you. Not they, by not oh, by mine. I I see your identity has been stolen. You know something like that. They threw it. You know what? That might be it's another not an wrinkle anxiety to test. There's a, oh, it's a stress test. There's a call from your spouse. She's very angry for some reason. Uh, yeah, I'll mention that to my doctor because I'm due for one next year. So, so you want to up the uh, see if he can throw that in there. It. 
Uh, as I mentioned, the news ferry showed up uh, just within the past hour. Shares of Hershey up 18% on reports that the company has received a takeover bid from Mondelez International. But here is the kicker. The Hershey Trust owns 8.5% of the stock, and yet it controls 81% of the vote. So, first, this is where I turn to Bill Barker and say, can you explain to our listeners what the Hershey Trust is and how it came to own 8.5% of the stock? Sure. The, the Hershey Trust is... So, when Milton Hershey died, actually, when his wife prematurely died, he gave essentially all of his uh, money, which was the money from founding the company, uh, the Hershey Chocolate Company, to trust for the purpose of running the, uh, I think it was called the originally the Hershey School for Orphan Boys, something like that, or the Hershey Industrial School for, for Orphan Boys. And uh, that school is still around, and because of his bequest of his ownership stake in Hershey, which has largely been held and not diversified terribly much by the trust, uh, they have the, the controlling stake. They also have, uh, going into today, I've, I've got $8 billion and I've got uh, $11 billion as numbers for, for the endowment, making it uh, competitive with the largest universities in the world in terms of uh, financial assets in the endowment. Uh, it would probably be about the size of uh, Michigan or Columbia. Uh, so around seven or eight, nine, something like that, in the list of biggest endowments of, of universities. So, so, so when you're looking at biggest endowments, it's like Harvard, Stanford, the Hershey Industrial School for Orphan Boys. <laughs> right. There, it's it's Harvard, Yale, Texas, Princeton, Stanford, blah blah blah, and then you get down to about ten, and then you're at that Penn, Michigan, Columbia, and that's that's somewhere in there, especially after today, or at least if we stop the clock right now while the stock is up. 15 16% uh, it's it's got that much more money a couple couple billion dollars more perhaps so do we think the trust is interested um, in selling here in, the, any it, in the past they haven't they done. have not right. Right. in the past they have not they have no need uh, they they have a different set of financial concerns than than most shareholders and that has allowed them to reject offers in the past there this is not the first time that somebody's come around looking to Add Hershey uh, to their stable, and uh, everything in the past has been unsuccessful. So uh, we'll see what they think this time around. But there, there's no, there's essentially no financial pressure on them. And as you say, because of their control of the voting class of shares, uh, th this is up to them. This is up to the trust. I, I could see easily why Mondelez would want them. Which, by the way, Mondelez continues to be the worst name public company. <laughs> A public company. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! But you did hear recently the Tribune Publishing changed their name to Trunk. Yeah, that's not that's <laughs> it's in the running. That's on the short list. Uh, but Hershey consistently generates gobs of cash flow, and, and their return on capital twenty five percent or higher consistently. Return on equity forty to sixty percent, depending on what years you're looking at. It's a really nice business. I could totally see why you know for the price of let's call it twenty five billion right now, Mondelez would would be interested. But we were talking earlier, Bill, and you mentioned something that, that makes me question the Mondelez attempt to acquire this company. And, and Mondelez has built its strength through diversification of the foods that it sells, but also its global footprint. And you were saying that Hershey's chocolate is 
as popular as it is here in the United States, that's how unpopular it is, apparently, according to you, in the rest of the, the world. The Great American Chocolate Bar is named that because it's a was a catchy tune, I guess, uh, jingle, and also because it's not considered great anywhere else. Uh, Europe really has a different taste for chocolate. Uh, of course, Mondelez has got Cadbury, which is the dominant brand there, but Hershey's is made with a different process. And if you ever go back and pick up a copy of The Chocolate Wars, which is a fascinating book about the history of Hershey and Mars uh, and uh, their processes for uh, making chocolate in their development. Um, it's Hershey's chocolate is milk chocolate is made with a, a souring process, which to Americans tastes right. That tastes like what milk chocolate should be because that's what we're all grow up with, with piles of it in, in Halloween uh, bags. And the rest of the world tastes it and says, this is, this is like barnyard chocolate. And then by the, by the rest of the world, Actually, I'm referring to Europe. Hershey's has had some success in China, which hadn't had the same you know experience and history with chocolates that Europe has had. So it has has been promising as as being a global opportunity for Hershey in a way that Europe just simply never seems like it will be. I don't know. I feel like they they both work for me. I like Hershey's. I like Cadbury. Yeah, I, I like tried. I like the the higher end, higher cocoa cocoa content. But I, I'll take some chocolate chips from uh, Hershey's any day. Well, those are usually Nestle. Oh, that's true. They sometimes chips. are. Yeah, yeah. That's so uh, I go, but go try to find Hershey in in Europe. You know, you'll find Snickers, Mars, uh, Mounds all over the place, but you won't you won't find much. No Hershey. Hershey's Kisses anywhere to be found. I'm not saying none none to be found, but they're not they're not popular. They're not like uh, you know the Mars brands that you know are are easy to find, and the Hershey's brands that you know are not. Let's move on to some earnings. McCormick and Company shares hitting an all-time high. Second quarter profits came in slightly higher than expected. This seemed like a a yet another good workmanlike quarter for McCormick. Yep. Um, does anything stand out to you in this? The consumer segment was strong, up eight percent uh, for the quarter, helped by an acquisition of Gourmet Garden Company. Has been um, acquiring companies over the years to to kind of spur growth because there's not that much growth. Let's face it, in, in, in the world of spices, so sometimes an acquisition is is necessary. Gross margins widened. Love to see that. Um, they're they're planning on reducing costs by four hundred million over the next four years, and they upped the goal um, for this year to one hundred million to one hundred ten million. Um, that's How bring, are they doing coming that? right back to the bottom line. Kind of there, there's first of all, every company can cut costs. It's just do they have the will to do it? Um, they can streamline processes. They can cut um, staff where necessary. And there's there's a lot of fat um, in companies. Um, that that most, if they have the will, can, can uh, take a fair amount of costs out of a business. Uh, their guidance, their adjusted guidance, we should call it, because there are some one-time charges. But their adjusted guidance remains unchanged, um, and the company continues to do real well. It pays a small dividend, one point seven percent, not too shabby. Um, has a lot of cash, twenty-seven times earnings. I wouldn't call it a cheap stock because you know it ha- it is at its fifty-two uh, week high and it is up twenty percent this year. But uh, they continue to execute really well. You had mentioned the consumer segment growth. Is that outpacing what they're doing on the industrial side? That's that was the. Yeah. Uh, I I think anyone who's been in a grocery store has probably seen 
it's pretty hard to avoid if you're going down the spice aisle, the McCormick display. They but, own it. But, yeah, well, that, but yeah. what, you, what you don't realize is that they've got a whole behind the scenes working directly with companies like Yum Brands and others. Yeah, it, that, that continues to grow just at a slower pace, as you said, um, a sub 3% uh, for the latest quarter. So still growing, but um, consumer, again, largely as a result of acquisitions, is outpacing it. It's been a, a hell of a good run and continues, as Ron, Ron points out. Uh, at this point, part of the impressive stock performance, and it's been up every year since 2009, um, at least 10% every year. And at this point, you've got to attribute a, a, an amount of that which may be worrying to multiple expansion rather than just simply growth of the business. And it's a safe company. Uh, packaged foods has been a good place to be, just like restaurants. Um, but uh, it's it. The only thing really to say against the stock is is that the multiple is uh, challenging. You can't expand your multiple forever. You can keep growing your business at seven eight percent, something like that, forever. Throw out a little bit of a dividend. Um, but uh, I would I would be wary about looking for um, the stock to hold this level forever. Well, one stock that might be more of a bargain is Darden Restaurants, the parent company of Longhorn Steakhouse, Capital Grill, and of course, of course. Steve Broido's <laughs> beloved Olive Garden. Uh, fourth quarter results looked good, although the guidance for the full fiscal year was pretty weak, and that's why I think we're seeing the stock down about 4% today. Yeah. Um it was kind of a, a fine quarter, but as you say, nothing too great. There was an extra week um, last time, so results look a little screwy. If you exclude that week, sales were up about two percent for the quarter. You know that's okay. Two point six percent was their same store sales number, led by Capital Grill um, up three point seven percent, and Seasons Fifty Two, which was up five percent. They're they're doing pretty well. Uh, Steve's Olive Garden up two point four percent. So. Steve's Pretty doing good. what he's what he he's can. Doing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, profits were up nine percent. You you can't complain too too much here. Uh, they increased the dividend by twelve percent. We're now at a three point six percent yield. So some decent things going on. Guidance for the upcoming year, as you said, um, not unbelievable. Certainly didn't knock the cover off the ball. So many interesting things have gone on with Darden over the last couple of years. If you recall, Starboard Value came in and did a proxy contest and cleared out the whole board. Um, which which is not an easy thing to do. I've worked with Starboard uh, in my former hedge fund life, and they're great guys, um, and they were really successful in this case. And Jeff Smith actually just resigned from the board. He was the chairman. He's he's the head of Starboard. He just said, "Okay, things are going well. Um, I'm going to move on to other things." He just came off the board. They successfully spun off some real estate into a new public company. FCPT is the symbol. It's trading at twenty dollars a share. Um, that has a four point eight percent yield. Um, so, if you look at the stock um, increase from Darden about 35% over the last two years, and then you account for the fact that there's a whole new $20 per share company that also pays a nice dividend, Starboard has done a really good job here. They have. I'm. I'm. One question on on the Capital Grill, uh, which you said it is that, my favorite, actually. You know, if you've been to the, if you like steak, <laughs> you could do a whole lot worse than the Capital Grill. That, in terms of footprint, they don't have that many of those. I mean, that's that is that is the highest end concept that they have under the Darden umbrella. It would seem like if they're looking to uh, juice the returns, so to speak, opening a few more Capital Grills would do the trick. 
I think that's right, and I think a few more Capital Grills is the right way to say it. I mean, it's a competitive space out there with Morton's and Ruth's Chris and, and some others. So you have to make sure you're in the right demographic, in the right area. Um, the one or two that are around here are in, in relatively affluent um, areas. And so you just have to be careful that you put them in the right place. I, it's a good company that's had a good run, obviously, uh, as, as a stock. It hasn't had a down year since... Uh, 2007, which is pretty good because a lot of companies had down year in 2008, and it's not really done as well as the the restaurant uh, sector as a whole uh, over over longer periods of time. But as Ron points out, over the last couple of years, in response to some of the shareholder activism, uh, it has turned around some of its cost structure, and I, I would expect them to continue to put uh, a, an emphasis on that. Now, that's going to get a little harder with uh, minimum wage uh, seeping through into all aspects of, of the operations, uh, but it puts a premium on, I think, companies that are already focusing on that and, and looking ahead. So, th- that may be something that they can do more about than the competitors, but it's going to affect everybody. Starboard value, it's it's a good point, Ron. They've they've had a really nice run recently. It it really does seem like over the last few years when Starboard gets involved in a hands-on way, shareholders end up doing pretty well as a result of that. It's almost like they're sort of collectively the opposite of Bill Ackman over the past few years. <laughs> yeah, um, they're really smart guys. They're interested in owning stocks for relatively long periods of time. They're not looking to just make a quick profit and then get out, although they have sold a, a chunk of their Darden stake. But they're interested in going on boards and sticking around and helping companies improve their operations. And Back in the days when I did uh, transactions with them, we were looking at really small microcap stocks, and now they've really hit the ball out of the park, and they're looking at Yahoo's and Darden's and, and bigger companies, and they've done incredibly well. Yahoo, God, that, you just reminded me that's that should be coming up in the next couple of weeks yeah. with the with the final bids coming in. So we'll we'll see where that shakes out as as we gear up for the next round of uh, earnings. At Market Foolery is our Twitter handle. Question from Lucas Coffee. Defensive stocks, and he cites ExxonMobil, 3M, GE, and Coca-Cola, are at or near all-time highs. Why is everyone so defensive? Is he onto something, or are those just four defensive stocks that happen to be doing well at the same time? Uh, I don't know if they were chosen for that purpose. Of course, it is, as of right now, largely true that the stock market is not at, but near all-time highs. It's within, I don't know, Four percent, three percent, something like that. So some of these companies are within three. You know, if if you're looking at a list of companies that are within five percent of their all-time highs, uh, you, you've got a long list. Some of which are are defensive, and I think that the value has outdone growth uh, in in the recent past. So that is where some of the money is going as people pursue uh, dividends, which are going to uh, in the companies that they think can maintain those dividends that. The low returns from uh, bonds at this point compel uh, yield seekers to look more and pay more for dividend stocks. Uh, and if they're offering something close to three percent, they're they're doing better than you're going to do with with Treasuries right now. So, you know, something like Exxon or or GE, which are probably uh, about as sound as the U.S. government, all things considered, uh, and yet paying more are going to be more attractive. Yeah, and if if 2015 was the year of Fang stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and the like, 
um, I think you're seeing a more flight to, uh, I don't want to use the word quality because those are quality companies, but um, less risky, more consistent, more stable companies, more value, less growth. Um, and you, you tend to see that in uncertain times. People want more stability. Um, they either sell their stocks or they move to stocks that, that are considered to be um, more stable. So I think we're seeing some of that. Flight to stability. <laughs> That's can I coin that? Yeah, you can. You can coin that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's flight to to yield, uh, yeah. as, as there always is. People are always seeking a decent yield on their investment, and uh, in the form of of dividends. Where whereas the S and P 500 as a whole is is around to slightly over two percent yield. Uh, that's better than you're doing with. Ten-year Treasuries. It's better than you're doing with a lot of things. And if you select, you know, something like an Exxon, uh, which has got better yield than that, uh, three almost three and a half percent. Yeah, people are gonna gonna pay up for that. Let me go back to Hershey, just because as we've been talking, more details are starting to come out. And uh, this is a breaking news podcast. This, wow. is, this wow. episode, do we do first? That? This might be a first. Check yeah. you out with your connectivity. <laughs> uh, David Faber at CNBC, who's one of the people that I follow on Twitter, uh, pointing out that the Mondelez bid is a hundred seven dollars, fifty fifty stock and cash, um, and that Mondelez has apparently offered to change the name of the company, the overall company, to Hershey, keep all manufacturing jobs in Pennsylvania, and move, and this goes back to what you were saying, Bill, and move global chocolate headquarters to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Boy, if you're a chocolate lover in Europe, that's got to terrify you. <laughs> Is um, it unsolicited, does it say? Or did these two guys get together for this? Uh, he doesn't say, but my assumption is it was, it was unsolicited. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he also points out that in addition to winning over the Hershey Trust, uh, Mondelez has to get approval from the Attorney General in Pennsylvania, which um, historically, much like the Hershey Trust, not necessarily um, uh, open to greenlighting a lot of deals. So. Uh, you, yeah. you have some experience with the Attorney General's office in Pennsylvania, don't you? Didn't you once upon a time? When, I, in your, I worked in for the, the city of Philadelphia, which is slightly different. But the Attorney General of uh, Pennsylvania is in um, such a spectacular legal trouble already. Uh, Why this, is that? Uh, it's a long story that okay. goes well outside of the parameters of this <laughs> of business news. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't want to start misrepresenting any part of the story. Um, but she is no longer um, allowed to practice law, uh, and um, so wait a minute, hold on. She's still the attorney general, but she's not allowed to practice law. That is true. Yes. Actually, you know what? That that doesn't surprise me because here in Virginia, I remember reading about this years ago uh, when we had a state uh, election, and one of the offices you vote for is attorney general, and I remember learning. Then that to be the attorney general in Virginia, you don't have to be a lawyer. So there's still hope. There's still hope. Yeah. Do you want me to write you in the next <laughs> time? I don't think you have to be uh, in many legal jobs that you would consider that a prerequisite. But Saul Goodman, can I just write in Saul Goodman's <laughs> name next time? Um, uh, before we wrap up, um, Ron, I'm going to yeah. turn to you for your grilling expertise one, once <laughs> once more because yes, sir. I'm going to be doing some grilling this weekend. A yeah. lot of people are going. To, it's a long weekend. Going to be doing some grilling. Is there um, is there a spice that that uh, you think is just overrated? Is there one where you're <laughs> just like I don't know why people talk about this? That thing is terrible. Wow, a spice that is overrated. Um, 
I think garlic powder is kind of cheesy. I think using fresh garlic is is much better way to go. Sometimes it's easier and it does make for a good rub or at least part of a good rub. You're a rub, not a marinade guy, right? It depends what what I'm doing. It depends on the quality of of the cut. But they both work well. So the higher the quality of the cut of meat, the marinating is not as necessary. Okay. You can still impart flavor, but it's not as as essential to to, to the process. Are you doing any grilling this weekend, Bill? Well, I'll be up in uh, upstate New York eventually. Once I get there, it's a pretty long drive. This is We talked about uh, my trip to Montreal, and this is uh, where I'll be oh, okay. on the way up to Montreal, so with my family up there. And yeah, there'll be some grilling. What are, you, are you grilling something specific or you don't know yet? Uh, I don't know yet. Okay. i, I got to figure that out. But here's what I do know, and this is we'll end on this note. Um, as, as we wrap up this podcast, uh, one floor above us, uh, Lee Burbage, one of our uh, executives, heads up the the people group, the people team here at Fool Headquarters. Uh, Lee is is grilling up some hot dogs for the company. So I think uh, we just we just uh, exit the studio and just head right upstairs to lunch. Nice. So you That's... brought up this uh, you know overrated um, spices. Yeah. What have you got? Um, I I didn't have any. That's why I turned to Ron. Ron, Ron, Ron's an expert. It seemed like an odd question to me, but I thought you must have something. Oh you no were no ready no! To, no, Ron's, no, Ron is turmeric, a, perhaps coriander. I just can't stand <laughs> chervil. No, Ron, Ron's a, a grill master, so I, I defer to him on all of those things. <laughs> all right, Bill Barker. Ron Gross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Gross. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Pool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Tuesday.